There it goes. <laughs> I didn't know what you said. You don't want a bean bone in your body. I do have one. I just. <laughs> Good to be sensitive to some people. You know. All right. So, yes, we will go to Matthew chapter 2 later. But first, I just uh, wanted to go through something before I talked about that. And hopefully I'll be able to wrap it all in and uh, get it all to uh, connect somehow as we talk about this. And so the title tonight is um, There's Hope for Everyone. So um, I'm going to read two verses of scripture and uh, first, and then we'll get into Matthew 2 later. So first I'm going to read 1 Timothy 1.15. And uh, it just says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. So Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then also John 3.17. We all know John 3.16, for God's love the world. But this is the next verse that is still pretty familiar, but maybe not quite as much. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so um, tonight I just wanted to talk about, because, you know, it's Christmas, it's almost Christmas, and we're thinking about Jesus and how he came as a baby. And uh, a lot of times I get so taken with the fact at Christmas time that God came down to us and to save us and to be with us, because that's what Emmanuel means, God with us. And that's just such an awesome thought, because God dwells in heaven. That's where he always dwelt uh, since the beginning of time. That's where he dwelt. But in this moment of time, God came down to be with us. And so that always gets me so much, because I just think it's so awesome that he, he came down for us. And so, uh, but today as I was worshiping him and I was actually listening to this song that's called Hope for Everyone and that's kind of where all this took place, but I was worshiping him and thanking him that he came down. I started realizing that whenever I think about that at Christmas time, a lot of times I'm taking it more uh, in a selfish way. I'm leaning more towards, oh God, you came down for me. You came down just for me. It's all about me, 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 me. But as I was just um, worshiping him, and it's good to be thankful for that, that he saves you because it is personal, and he did do it just for you. I've, I believe that if there was just one person that was going to die and go to hell, then he would still come down, and he would still do the same exact thing just so that they might be saved. Now, that's not how the story goes, but he loves us individually. It's a personal relationship. It's a personal love that he has for us. But it hit me so much that he came for all today, and uh, just for the simple fact that he came means that there is hope for every single soul that is living right now. And uh, that just meant so much to me. He loved us all that when he came, he loved us then and he loves us now, even after his work is finished. And so it means that there is hope for all of us. Um, Jesus came for everyone and there is hope for everyone, even the ones that seem too far gone or too wicked. And so the definition of hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. A person or thing that may help or save someone grounds for believing that something good may happen or a feeling of trust. So a feeling of expectation. So that's what Jesus gave us whenever he came down. He gave us an expectation of something good. 
And that is just kind of what I wanted to focus on here for a minute because everybody was waiting on the promise of his coming. It had been foretold in the Old Testament that uh, Jesus was going to come because what they did in the Old Testament, they, they sinned and then they went and sacrificed at the temple and everything and they got that done and then they left feeling maybe not even any better. They just did their duty and then they sinned again and then they came back and they sacrificed and then they left not really feeling any better but knowing they did their duty and then they sinned and then they went back and they said so they were doing this over and over and over not really ever experiencing any kind of redemption not experiencing any kind of hope they weren't they weren't that nothing like that was happening for them they were just doing what god told them to do they were being faithful and it was good what they were doing but it wasn't actually uh erasing their sin. It wasn't actually doing that for them. They, they didn't actually have hope. So they were looking for his coming. They were looking for salvation. And so that's what they were looking for as they went about doing those things. And so uh, that's what Jesus did whenever he came. He gave hope that we would be able to be saved and we would be able to be redeemed to those that are lost. And so um, there, so tonight, when I was worshiping, I just hope I can explain what was in my heart. But while I was worshiping, it was just such an awesome thing that there's hope for every person. Every person we can possibly think of, there's hope for them to be saved just because he came. Because we look at some people and we're like, no, they're too far gone. No, they're too wicked. Oh, no, well, they're, they're a communist. They're a socialist. They're... They're from China. I don't anything you can think of. They're this. They're that. They're they're gay. There's no hope for them. They can't be saved. But that that is not what Jesus was all about. They, there's hope and there's expectation that there's something good, that salvation can come just because he came to earth and he died for us. So um, that's just what gloriously came into my soul today that it's just the greatest thing ever that even in the midst of such darkness there is a glorious light shining in the light of Christ and what he has done for us even whenever things are the darkest or people seem the darkest that evil just seems to take hold of everybody so tightly there is still the light of Christ because he came and uh, just to even um, show some of this the first people that were to know that Jesus even had been born were like the shepherds who were lower class citizens. They weren't, uh, they, I mean, they were hanging out with sheep. They were dirty. They were gross. They, they, weren't, they weren't like the first ones you would go and tell that you've had a baby because, I mean, we all know how moms can be about their babies now. Oh, you better wash your hands before you touch my baby. But they were the first ones, these, these lower class citizens. They were told, there's, if there's hope for the shepherds who were told about Jesus' birth, then there's hope for us all. There's hope for the lost. The wise men were foreigners. They weren't from anywhere around there. They weren't even Jews. But they were told about the birth of Jesus, and they came. And there was, there's hope even for people that are as far off from Christ as they could possibly be, that, are, that have let the, the the claws of religion sink so deep into their souls there is still hope for them just because he came just that action of him coming there is hope for us all to be saved so that was just uh like a prelude uh, an encouragement that anybody can be saved we we must not write people off because there is hope for them so 
let's look now at our scripture passage and uh, we're going to look at the wise men and talk some more about them because if if Christ just coming to this earth is hope for people to be saved even the most wicked but what where does that leave us those of us that are trying to serve Christ that are trying to allow him to live in our lives what does that mean for us what what hope can we look for so we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight and uh, let's look at Matthew 2, and we're going to go verses 1 through 12. And this is the story of the wise men. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least of the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel." Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when ye have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And so I think I would like to just stop and pray real quick over this. I didn't pray at the beginning. So let's just pray real quick and pray that the Lord's will be done here tonight. I pray, Lord, you'll just uh, help us tonight. Lord, anoint us to hear what you would say to us, Father. Let us just be led of your spirit because we don't want to do anything that is not of you, Lord. We want your will to be done tonight. And we pray that your anointing would be here and your presence, Lord. Let us just be filled with such an awesome hope of what you gave us by coming to this earth, Lord, by, by allowing us to be able to be saved by you, Lord. We love you so much, and just please let us worship you tonight and be thankful for what you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So who are the wise men, or the magi, as they are also referred to? Uh, they were not kings, even though the song, We Three Kings of Orient are, uh, that's, that's not exactly true. They were not kings. And there was probably more than three of them. If you notice in our scripture verse, it said that they came into Jerusalem and they said, where is the king of the Jews? We want to come and worship him. And it says all of Jerusalem, King Herod and all of Jerusalem were troubled. And so I'm thinking that there wasn't just three of them. You guys know where we get the three from. It's because there was only three gifts. That's why we always see three wise men. But I'm thinking that if it was enough to cause this whole entire city to be troubled, there had to have been more than three. Because just three measly little guys looking around and going, hey, do you know where he is? Where's the king of the Jews? Wouldn't cause too much of a, of a stir. Because they were even granted admittance to see the king. They were allowed to go in and talk to the king about this. So that they would have had to have been impressive. So like a large caravan or something like that. So... Um, they were impressive enough that they got to meet with King Herod. So some of what I found out about them is quite interesting. The Bible says that they are from the east. 
And so many think that they were from Persia, which would kind of make a lot of sense because the Persians were very interested in astronomy and astrology, and they thought that the stars were really important for predicting events. So it is understandable that people from a region like that who think that it is, astronomy is so important would think that the arrival of this star would bring something about that would be of cosmic importance. So uh, the Magi followed this star that appeared in the sky in search of the king. And uh, we know what's, how that star came to be. The Bible says that it was his star. And so this wasn't just a certain bright star that was in orbit at that time. I believe God miraculously made that star appear just for the birth of Christ because he is able to do that. So um, they had more than likely heard of Daniel's prophecies of the Messiah and realized that this was the one that was going to be the ruler of all people. So they wanted to come and worship him. And they were not just uh, ordinary men. These were men that had mastered the law of the Medes and the Persians, which was probably what Daniel had to learn whenever he was taken captive into Babylon. They, they took those young men, and then they were going to teach them. I don't know if you remember that in the book of Daniel, but they were going to teach them things about science. And so uh, these men probably had uh, been taught something similar to what Daniel had been taught. So they were very smart. They, they, they knew a lot, and uh, they were very... Wise. So also, from what I found out about these men is that they were the kingmakers of their region. So nobody became king unless they said they could. Kind of like in the Bible whenever Samuel went and anointed Saul and went and anointed David. So these guys, I don't, I don't know if they actually anointed them, but these guys, the, the person would not become king unless these guys were like, okay, yeah, he can be king. Because they were the kingmakers. So such an amazing thing that they came to worship Jesus. These kingmakers, these men that were held in such high regard from, of their people, would seek Jesus and give him gifts. That definitely meant that they probably thought he was something else. That they thought he was royal. That they thought he was a king. So um, uh, as they are searching to worship the new king, they say they saw his star in the east. So... Uh, we establish that they are wise, but just because they came to worship Jesus establishes that they were wise in the spiritual realm as well. They chose to come worship him. They didn't just see the star and say, oh yeah, that's great. Uh, I'm glad the star's there. It must, must, something must be going on over there. But they said, let's go see. Let's go worship him. And it specifically says they came to worship him. And so that means that they were uh, being led of something higher than themselves. And so they were going to uh, worship and give gifts. Um, the wise men were determined to come before the king and to worship him. They traveled great lengths to find him. Obviously, they traveled a long distance. And then when it seemed that they would not be able to come before him, they asked help from another king, from King Herod. Now, this king was carnal, and he was fleshly, and he was wicked. He wanted the worship for himself and did not want to share the power with any other, especially the king of the lowly Jews. So the help they sought from this man was a dead end, and it was of no help. But when they looked and saw the star and followed what was above their knowledge, they found the king to worship him. And so this is where uh, we will start... Uh, turning it around on ourselves. So just as the wise men looked up and saw his star in the east and wanted to find the king, may we do the same through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us into all truth, and we just have to be willing to be led of his spirit. 
They were being led to worship the true king. Um, May we lift up our eyes from ourselves every now and then and see the Holy Spirit leading us to the worship of the king. We cannot look within ourselves at the carnal flesh that wants to be the only king of our lives. We must look above ourselves and be led of the spirit because you're not ever going to have your flesh tell you, hey, we need to worship now. I mean, if you look within yourself, it's not gonna, your, your flesh is not going to tell you to do anything holy. Your flesh is not going to tell you to do anything just. You have to be led of the Spirit to do that. How determined are we to worship? How great of lengths are we willing to travel to worship the King of Kings? Sometimes we're not even willing to travel out of our pew to stand up or to, to raise our hands. Uh, but these wise men left their home where they were comfortable. They left the things they knew and wanted to do and determined within themselves to make it to the place where they could worship the new king. So we need to get it into our heads that our comforts and our preferences have nothing to do with our worship. How we feel doesn't have anything to do with it. What we, what we like and how our personality is doesn't have to do with our worship. Worship is all about him and not about us or what we want or what we would prefer. Just like how we're going to be giving gifts, we don't, we don't give a gift to someone thinking about what we want. We think about that person. We think about their tastes and interests. And then we give them something that goes along with their personality. We give them something that we think they would like. When we worship the Lord, we should keep in mind his desires and his wants and not our own. Uh, people like to say that they just don't show emotion or they just don't sh- cry or they just don't shout or maybe it just embarrasses them to raise their hands or do anything during worship. But if we put me and I at the focus of our statements and at the focus of our worship rather than God, then we will not give him the worship that he is worthy of. We will not give him the worship that he desires. And in case we haven't checked, he is our master if he's living inside of us. He is the boss if we're wanting to do anything for God. If you want to go anywhere for God, then you're going to need to start checking with him for things before you start going off and doing just what you want to do. You have have to check with him and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Lord, how would you have me to worship? Would you have me to stand? Would you have me to raise my hands? Would you have me to sing a little louder? Would you have me to walk around or go to the altar? What would you have, have me to do? Instead of constantly thinking, oh me, I, I don't like that. People will look at me. People will think I'm uncool. Well, I think that you should probably just cast that aside because if that's what you're caring about, then you're not serving God. You're not listening to what his spirit is leading you to do you are listening to what you want to do so in revelation chapter 4 it talks about the heavenly worship which is a good uh which is a good thing to look at because i don't know about you guys but i would really like to experience heavenly worship i would like to experience something that is above me i don't really want to just sit around and experience something that is just uh on my level i want to go to the next level i want to experience more than god i mean just hearing the phrase heavenly worship sounds quite amazing to me and that's where that's the direction i want to go 
I want to take that and I want to follow it. So let's talk about Revelation chapter 4. There are four beasts around the throne. And if you want to read about it, it is in Revelation chapter 4, but it describes these beasts and what they look like. But continuously, they do not rest day or night. Continuously, they say, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And just that statement in itself is showing some worship. If we're not telling God how great he is, if we're not talking to him and saying, hey, Lord, you're mighty, if we're just sitting there and going, nothing but the blood of Jesus. I mean, what, what really is that doing for him? What is it doing for him when we do that? I don't know. Maybe it does something for him. But I don't know if somebody's singing something, a song to me, and they're singing it in a monotone and not even looking at me, not even trying to encourage me, whatever they're doing, then I'm going to be like, hey, you're wasting your time. I don't really want to hear about that. But just look at what they say. Holy, holy, holy. Because saying it once isn't enough. Saying it just one time isn't enough because he is that holy. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which means he he is it. He is the God. He is the Lord, God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And God knows this, but he wants us to say it. We need to say it. So when these beasts, these four beasts, they don't rest day or night, when they say this, there's 24 elders that sit around the throne and they take their crowns that they are wearing and they cast their golden crowns to the throne and they just fall down and they worship God. So we can definitely get an image in our heads of what is going on here. It's very descriptive what they are doing. So um, the, they're, they're taking action. They're doing something. I mean, if I was wearing a crown and I took it off and I cast it, you can see me doing that. You can describe that action. What if someone described your worship? What would they say? Would they be able to even describe it, you know? I mean, I'm not saying you have to make a show for everybody, but I'm saying that it is an action. Something should be happening to show the Lord how much you love him. Something should be going on within yourself, and it can carry out into action in your body. So that worship that they were doing, uh, it is a verb, and it means you're doing something. Just as the wise men took action to go and worship Jesus, so should we. They got up, and they left their comfort zone. They left their home. We need to be willing to get up and leave what we find comfortable. Leave the, the, the spot that we're stuck in. And I don't even want to just refer to the spot in your pew. I don't want to refer to how you need to get up, and you need to go to the altar to worship God. I don't even want to, I don't even, I don't even want to talk about that. I mean like the position that you're in in your worship. If you've always just sat there and barely saying, move on from that. Not necessarily by getting up and moving, but within yourself. Say, Lord, I want to be able to worship you. I want to go to the next level of worship. I want to be able to worship as those beasts do in heaven and tell you how great you are. Move on for that. Look for that. So that's what I was talking about as far as the hope goes. I know that we are saved and that we have Christ in us, but we have hope that even if we are in that position of worship, even if we are in that position in our walk with God, where we're not doing anything, where we're totally just sitting by the wayside, just letting his kingdom pass us by, but, but move on from that. Allow him to lead you. What if we did allow ourselves to be led of the spirit to the place where we can worship him? A shift was necessary for the wise men to be able to go worship 
worship Jesus. And so that's why they sought help from Herod. And just like we talked earlier, we can't seek help within ourselves. We must seek help from above us. So the wise men followed the star, the knowledge that was above them. They followed it. And that star settled over where Jesus was. They were able to go before him and lay their gifts at his feet and worship him. So if we would look above ourselves, if we would stop looking within ourselves for what we want, we're comfortable with, and we look to the Holy Spirit and said, Holy Spirit, lead me into what you would have me to do. Tell me what to do. I don't care if it's not my own wants. I don't care if I'm not comfortable with it. I want to be led into a wonderful new level of worship of my king because he is worthy. And because I know that when I'm worshiping him, I'm in his will. When I'm worshiping him, it makes him happy. It makes him satisfied. And, And of course, it does things for us too. When we worship him, we are led into deeper levels with him. But if we would just enter into a place where we could worship him, we would experience worship like we never have before of the king. And so there is hope for us to worship. So even if you've never done any kind of worship before that is any kind of action, then do not fear because that is another of the hope. Remember the definition of hope. A feeling of expectation and desire for certain thing to happen. And just like we said earlier that Jesus came for everyone, so that means there is hope for everyone. Even the deepest, darkest person that there is, there's hope that that person may be saved. And just in the same, in our worship, uh, somebody could be the most closed, tight-lipped person that doesn't ever even smile or anything can come into a place of wonderful worship where the tears and the snot is flowing and they're just worshiping the God that created heaven and earth because he's worthy. It, there is hope for that because he came. Through him, we can worship him. We can worship him in this hour, though it seemed dark, though the world is just closing in on us at every corner. It seems everything gets worse every day. But though that's happening, we can still worship him in this hour. Um, we often think, or maybe nobody else doesn't, just I do, but I mean, I've, I've thought about what it would be like to be in that stable, to be there to fall before Jesus as a baby and to worship him like, like the wise men did. But can we realize that we can experience something even greater right now of worship, something even greater than seeing Jesus in the flesh? We can experience that even greater right now through the Holy Spirit because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and he's interceding for us and we have the Holy Spirit leading us into the way that we can worship so um, we must do as the wise men did and look to the Holy Spirit to guide us in worship and so you may feel like that it's not possible to do these things but there is hope for everyone you can worship him. He did, not con- he, he did not condemn you for your lack of worship or your good deeds or your lack of Bible reading, but he came to give you hope. So that's what we read at the beginning. God, Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the same thing, we can put our name right there. Jesus did not come to this world to get to condemn Chelsea, 
but that Chelsea through him might be saved. If you start feeling like you're just not doing good enough or you're just not, you've, you're just not there, you're just not worshiping him, he's not there condemning you, but he's there to save you. He's there to give you that hope, that expectation of what can happen, the, uh, an expectation of what can be in the relationship with him. Begin to seek him and be led of the Spirit in a way that you can worship and glorify his name because he's worthy. We, I, I don't know... I don't know why we don't. We, we have a head knowledge of he's worthy. But why don't we act on it? Why don't we pour forth the praises of our king? Because he, he deserves it. And that's just where that comes in. We start to look at ourselves. We start to look within ourselves and want to do only what we want to do. And so tonight, I would like you just to uh, pray over that. And I'm just going to sing the song that blessed me so much today if we have time. So.